ನಿರಂಜನಂ ನಿತ್ಯಂ ಅನಂತರೂಪಂ ಭಕ್ತಾನುಕಂಪಾಧೃತವಿಗ್ರಹಂ ವೈ ಈಶಾವತಾರಂ ಪರಮೇಶಮಿಡ್ಯಂ ತಂಗ್ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶಿರಸ ನಮ ಜನನಿ ಸಾರದಿ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪಾದಪದ್ಮೀತೃಣಮಿ ಮುಹೂರ್ಮುಹು ನಮಸ್ರೀಯತಿಯಂದಸೂರೈ ಸಚ್ಚಿದ್ಸುಖಸ್ವಾಯ ಸ್ವಾಮಿಪಹಾರಿಣಿ ನಮಸ್ಕಾರ ಸ್ವಾಮೀಜಿ ನಮಸ್ಕಾರ ನಮಸ್ಕಾರ ಸೊ ವಿ ವಿಲ್ ಕಂಟಿನ್ಯೂ ವಿತ್ ಅವರ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ಆನ್ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದಸ್ ಕರ್ಮಯೋಗ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಟುಡೇ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟ್ ಎ ನ್ಯೂ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ದ ನ್ಯೂ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ದ ಫೋರ್ತ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆಫ್ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದಸ್ ಕರ್ಮಯೋಗ ವಾಟ್ ಈಸ್ ಡ್ಯೂಟಿ so we will start with reading the text and then we will go to the discussion on it so the chapter what is duty it is necessary in the study of karma yoga to know what e what duty is so before we enter into the discussion of what duty is as has been explained by swami vivekananda just first we let us have a idea an overall idea that how can we define duty from the religious point of view from ethical point of view how can we define duty and then gradually we will enter into the text and try to just uh, correlate with our discussion with what swami ji has said so the word religion first let us start with the word religion the word religion in latin the word means is called religare which means to bind fast <clears throat> in that sense the word dharma the dharma is actually a, has a lot of uh, expanded meaning but here uh, as per the word religion is concerned the dharma also to its certain aspect conforms to that idea what is dharma it has various meanings one of the meaning is dharayate iti dharma that which holds us that which integrates us is dharma so you find it is almost in this sense it is similar to the word religion that to hold fast to bind fast means religion and dharma dharayate dharma dharayate iti dharma in that also we find the same sense to hold us to integrate us to bind us that is what is dharma so what actually it is speaking of when we speak of dharma as to bind us to integrate us so if we take the entire animal kingdom the entire sentient beings the, the gamut of the sentient beings 
we will find that the entire animal kingdom as such is guided by instinct. The God has implanted the instinct in such a way that they don't have to take any conscious decision. Their instinct guides them in such a way that the harmony of the nature, the balance of the nature is in no way disturbed. They have been programmed in such a way. We will take a common example. In many ways we can see it, we will take a common example to understand that how the instincts of the animal helps them to integrate in such a way that they neither disintegrate themselves nor in any way they become the cause of disintegration of the nature. Just take the predator, the lion. Yes, the lion is of course not a vegetarian. It has to sustain on flesh. So it has to do something with the ecological balance. If there was no lion, there won't be any vegetation at all because the so-called the herbivorous animal will simply finish off the entire vegetation. They will reproduce, the number will be so much that the jungles will be cleared off by the herbivorous animal. So the plan of the nature, life is one. When we take each life separately, we may think that one life is harmed, but life is as such one. And the balance is wonderfully maintained that way. The predator is there to maintain the balance of the ecology by just feeding on those so-called herbivorous animal. Now, very interesting, though they eat on the flesh, very interesting, you will find a thing, a lion catches its prey and it thrives on it, it is eating when it is having its meal as such. You will find the scavengers of the forest, the hyenas, the, even the so-called the wild dogs, even this, they are waiting, the fox, they are waiting, they're just hiding and waiting when the lion will be satiated. Very interesting, the moment the lion is satiated, it will never look back at its prey. That half-eaten prey is lying there, it never drags it and just keeps it or stores it or holds it. It simply lies there, it will move off. Now all these scavengers of the forest, they will now come they will have their share. Now when they're having their share, the vulture is sitting on the tree, it is waiting. Even when the scavengers, those who clear off the jungle, what the mess the lion has created, they are clearing off. They cannot clear it off totally. Now the vulture comes down, it have its share. So now you will find there the instincts are in, programmed in such a way. There is no question that the lion say, oh, you come and share the meal. They have been, their instinct have been programmed in such a way, the moment they are satiated, they won't look back at the prey. And you will find the wonderfully, the ecology is maintained, all are getting their share. No one is holding, but we as a human being, what we do. So now it's the summer season, it's the season of the mango, and you go to the shop, to the shopping mall, and you most probably find that the mango is quite cheap. The price has gone down. So you buy the entire crate. But when you bring it back, you cannot have it in one day. So there is a wonderful that your gadget, electric gadget called the refrigerator. So it, there, there you keep it, the remaining amount you keep it, 
so that you can have it again and again in the days to come. So as a human being, we hold, is holding. And now for us, that instinct is weak. And in this place, what has taken the place of instinct is reason. So to guide us with our reason, we need some dictums. Now comes the importance of the scriptures, of the so-called moral dictums, the commandments, the vidhis, the nishedhas, <clears throat> they come into picture. And they have to say, don't hold. Otherwise, what happens? You will find all the evils of the society is because of the holding. You will find in the last decade, decade, there was a movement called the Wall Street movement, the Occupy movement. Sorry, this was in the Wall Street, the Occupy movement. What was the main aim? That we, there should be an equal distribution of wealth. The 99% of the world's wealth is with the 1% of the population. So what has happened? This holding has created this polarity. The 1% of the population is having the 99% of the wealth. So what has happened? The society has become carcinogenic. You know what is a carcinogenic society? It's just like a cancer patient. In our body, all the cells have a definite rate of growth. They are sustained by the nutrients which is being circulated through the blood, the oxygen which is being circulated through the blood and all the nutrients, the food, and they have the food in restricted amount, the, just the amount, optimum amount they require. And the growth happens in balance with the entire body. Your hand won't grow disproportionately to the other parts of the body. Everything is growing in a proportionate manner. But when we say a patient, patient is having this cancer, a particular cells in the body, they suddenly start holding they take more nutrients and multiply without the balance which is supposed to maintain with regard to the entire body. It is multiplying uncontrollably. It takes more nutrients and it goes on multiplying. That's the cancer cells. And that's what the society becomes like. A particular section of the society is holding. And what happens just like a cancer patient? At last, the patient dies along with the cancer cells also dies. The holdings ill effect in the society at last, that the one who holds, he cannot enjoy indefinitely. With its ill effects, the society will have its ill effects. And at last, the one who is holding will also going to have the effect, the bad effect of it. That cannot, he cannot just stay aloof or she cannot stay aloof. So, we need, so there is no need for such dictums for guiding the animal kingdom. But we as the human need those commandments. The religion was serving that purpose for thousands of years. That vidhis, the nishyadhas. Now we will understand that why religion means to religare, to hold fast. Why it means dharayate, that which binds us, integrates us, without which we fall. So now duty, we can understand, just keeping those moral obligations in mind. 
whatever responsibilities we have to do in our day-to-day -day life, we can say that they are the duties. So with this idea in the background of our mind, now let us try to enter into the Swamiji's discussion as has been uh, uh, indicated in this chapter, what is duty? So the first sentence that we just read, it is necessary in the study of Karma Yoga to know what duty is. If I have to do something, I must first know that it is my duty and then I can do it. So here that knowledge comes first. It's not just instinct. First I have to know. The idea of duty again is different in different nations. Now, after understanding that, that though we need some guidance, some dictum, but now the, again the main problem comes, the complexity comes. We will find the idea of duty is not something universal. As per the various religion is concerned, as per the various nations are concerned, you will find sometimes what is duty for me is diametrically opposite to the duty of some other religion or of some other nation. So that's Swamiji will be pointing out. And then to go beyond this paradox, to understand the anomaly, apparent anomaly here, what we have to keep in mind, what the paradigm should be, that Swami Vivekananda gradually will be bringing into our attention. So the idea of duty again is different in different nations. The Mohammedan says, what is written in his book, the Quran, is his duty. The Hindu says, what is in the Vedas is his duty. And the Christian says, what is in the Bible is his duty. We find that there are varied ideas of duty, differing according to the different states in life, different historical periods, and the different nations. So that's Swamiji is indicating. So now how to understand, how to get rid of this paradox. Now Swamiji is bringing another point, very important pertinent point into the picture to understand that what the real duty is, whether there is some universal truth. We find that as per the moral obligations are concerned, it is so much varied as per the nations are concerned, as per the religions are concerned, as per the dictums mentioned in the religious scriptures are concerned. Is there any universal truth behind them all? Seeing that we may say that the truth is relative. One belonging to a particular religion speaks of the truth in one way, one in of some other religion speaks it in another way. So where is the absolute truth? Is there anything called absolute truth? Or it is all the product of the fertile imagination of the human brain. So to understand that, Swami Vivekananda is bringing a very pertinent point into the discussion. The term duty, like every other universal abstract term is impossible clearly to define. It's almost impossible to define it clearly. We can get an idea of it by knowing its practical operations and results. That's the very important point. Just from the dictum to understand what duty is very difficult. We have to understand it from these two words, practical operations and results. We can translate it as what's practical operations. It speaks of our choice. 
and the result that follows because of our choice. In our life, we will find that again and again, we are in a situation, we are as if in a crossroad. We don't know what to do. Kartum, akartum, anyatha kartum. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Or if I have to do it, have, should I do it in a different way? So this, I'm always in the crossroad. And now I have to choose. Again and again, we find in our life that happens. And we have to choose a particular path. And after choosing the results which are, bound, which are going to follow, that I have to, I have to accrue the results that are going to follow. So in this respect, we will find that Ramakrishna is speaking of the universal truth that he says it, there is something called universal truth. All these varied dictums may be there. In spite of that, in spite of all those apparent confusion, there is something called universal truth. Ramakrishna in his unique way is speaking of that universal truth in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna very nicely. Just in one sentence, he's saying something wonderful. What he's saying? If you taste a hot chili, you are bound to feel hot. If you taste a chili, you are bound to feel hot. So what he's speaking here is something wonderful. You may say what it has to do with the universal truth. That when you are taking, when you are having your meals, in a separate plate, few chilies are kept. Now, it is my choice. Whether I take the chili or not is my choice. I may take, I may not take. But I will take the chili. I will enjoy only its flavor. And I won't, I don't like that hot sensation. Is it going to happen? Never. If I don't take the chili, well and good, you don't have the hot sensation. But if you take the chili, that hot sensation is bound to be there. So there is something called universal truth. Now, it is something uh, universal. It doesn't depend on the varied dictums of the religion. It is something universal. And we have the choice. If we pick up the correct choice, then the result which is going to follow, there we have no hand. We have freedom only in the choice. We have no freedom that the result which we are going to accrue because of that choice. If I don't take chili, I am not going to have the hot sensation. If I'm going to take the chili, I'm bound to have that hot sensation. So that means that is what is meant by practical operations and results. The results that is going to follow because of the way you are operating in the pragmatic way in the world, apart from the dictum, there you will find the results are not varying. It doesn't depend on your belief. Just to give a common example, if I just say I don't believe in gravitation, are you going to fly? If I jump out of a 20-story building, that as I don't believe in gravitation, am I going to fly? No. I'm just going to crash and die. You're just going to fall with a third. So the laws, the universal laws are there. So if we try to find out them only from the objective point of view by seeing what the laws have been mentioned, it may be highly confusing. But we can find its prevalence 
in our day-to-day life as something which is ineffable. You cannot change it by its what do you say its application and the result that follows out of it. Very interestingly, Swami Vivekananda has something to say in this context in some other lecture. What he's saying, truth does not pay homage to society, ancient or modern. Society has to pay homage to the truth or die. Why he's saying he was a student of history. He saw nations after nations flourishing. The ancient Greece, the ancient, this, the culture. So they were at the top of the world. They thought they are the conqueror of the world. They have the, all the so-called uh, evolution, which is required to be at the top of the human race. But you find with the passage of time, in the words of Swami Vivekananda, where Caesar ruled, the cobwebs now will be just uh, weaving its uh, net. Cobwebs are weaving the nets there, the spider net. So everything is gone. Why? They also had some, their own moral uh, obligations, their own ideals that have power with power, you can exploit others, rule the world. But the world's law is something else. They found that at last, it is they who have become extinct. One after other, the cultures came. They have become extinct. So there is some law, which if you don't follow, at last it is you who are going to be annihilated. The law can never be so-called transcended, transgressed. You cannot transgress them. So that's what Swamiji is trying to indicate by the words practical operations and results. So this truth does not pay. This truth is there. There's a the wonderful story. You many have, may have read it. It came somewhere in the Reader's Digest long back. I read it long back. That a warship was uh, just sailing. And it was uh, because of the foggy weather, because of the fog, nothing was visible. And it was, uh, and the commander of the warship asked to on the radar system. The radar system was on and immediately they found there is some, something on their way. Something is obscuring their way. So the warship thought that most probably it is some small boat, some fishing boat. So the commander in chief of that, uh, that, uh, warship ordered that whoever is in the front, please deviate by 15 degree, deviate your course by 15 degree. The reply came, sir, it's better you who deviate your way by 15 degree. And now again, the warship commander shouted, I'm a huge warship. You are going to be crushed. It is you who have to change your course. And the reply came, I'm the lighthouse. So as it was a foggy way, the, the warship never understood that it is going to be near the shore. So it was a lighthouse. The lighthouse cannot deviate. It is we who have to deviate seeing the lighthouse. So the lighthouse is the absolute truth. It is there. We have to conform to that, to decide whether we are going to integrate or we are going to disintegrate. 
So that's what has been indicated by the word practical operations and results. When certain things, when certain things occur before us, we have all a natural or trained impulse to act in a certain manner towards them. When this impulse comes, the mind begins to think about the situation. So now Swamiji is coming that from objective point of view, it is very difficult to find out what my duty is. But from subjective point of view, there are some criteria to determine that what my duty is in a particular situation. So now Swamiji will be indicating that sometimes it thinks that it is good to act in a particular manner under the given conditions. At other times, it thinks that it is wrong to act in the same manner, even in the very same circumstances. So as it has been mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, karmano hyapi bodhavyam bodhavyamcha vikarmanaha akarmanascha bodhavyam gahana karmano gati so it is very difficult to understand what the duty is. So you must understand the nature of all the three recommended action, wrong action and inaction. The truth about these is profound and difficult to understand. That's what Swami Vivekananda is indicating here. The ordinary idea of duty everywhere is that every good man follows the dictates of his conscience. So here Swamiji is speaking of the conscience that our conscience, that is something which is subjective. Based on that, we have to decide that yes, the dictums are there. Now what my conscience is saying in a particular situation, that also becomes an important factor. But again, that conscience is something which has varied various categories. It can be authoritarian, or it can be spiritually oriented conscience. What it is? For most of us, the conscience, how it develops, it is the internalized voice of the authority. A small child is born, it does something the parent applauds, it does some other things for which the parent reprimands, scolds. And those things are getting, those voice of the parent is getting internalized. This is good, this is bad. The child goes to the school, the same thing continues. The teacher is there to award the child for something, to reprimand the child for certain thing, to censor the child for certain thing. And those voice of the teacher, of the parents are getting internalized. What is good, what is bad. This is an authoritarian conscience, the authority is there, whose voice is getting internalized, and that is becoming my voice, it is the authoritarian conscience. So this authoritarian conscience is something which again can be highly confusing. It is very, though we may say that I am acting as per my conscience, but that conscience is actually the internalized voice of the external authority. So again, we will find a lot of confusion is arising there. That Swami will be, Swamiji will be indicating. But what is it that makes an act a duty? So now that 
to see if there's a question that the religious dictum and my duty, how it clashes. If a Christian finds a piece of beef before him and does not eat it to save his own life or will not give it to save the life of another man, he's sure to feel that he has not done his duty. But if a Hindu dares to eat that piece of beef or to give it to another Hindu, he is equally sure to feel that he too has not done his duty. The Hindu's training and education make him feel that way. So now you'll find that here it is all that where in what type of society we are born and what type of dictums the society has it dictated me from my childhood. That has become my inner voice. So we find it's not really it's highly varied to find a common point of what the duty is because very difficult. Now again, the other thing Swamiji is saying in the last century, there were notorious bands of robbers in India called thugs. In the Western India, these thugs were a very very was powerful. This, uh, this uh, a tribe. What they used to do, they thought it their duty to kill any man they could and take away his money. It was very interesting. We find that sometimes certain races are violent, recoursing to uh, what you say, this violence, uh, robbery, and other things. And sometimes we judge them from the surface and blame them. But you will find all such tribes are located in such places where the nature is not abundant. It's the desert area. You don't have in abundance the food and all. So naturally, at last, the question of survival comes. When you are in a place where the vegetable is where, where the vegetation is abundant, nature is there to give you the food. I was in Fiji. I saw that how the nature can be abundant. That just uh, you, when you are taking your food, there's uh, uh, that one, the cereal, you just plant it and it just grows. The volcanic soil is so fertile. Anything grows without taking much care. Everything is abandoned. And that type of society, you'll find the violence. There's no question of violence. I don't have to snatch others' property for my livelihood. But when you are in a desert, and somehow you got one oasis and your tribe have started living there and the other tribe doesn't have any source for water or for their living. So naturally the question of violence comes there because the limited resource. When the resource becomes limited, the violence comes. So if you go to the background, you will find there are reasons. It's not just simple. And accordingly, they have developed their so-called their own dictums, their own religion. I'm not saying whether it is good or bad. It has some reason behind it. And the thugs you will find, they're saying that what? It is their duty to kill any man they could and take away his money. The larger the number of men they killed, the better they thought they were. Ordinarily, if a man goes out in the street and shoots down another man, he's apt to feel sorry for it, thinking, that he has done wrong. But if the very same man as a soldier 
in his regiment kills not one but 20 he is certain to feel glad and think that he has done his duty remarkably well therefore we see that it is not the thing done that defines a duty to give an objective definition of duty is thus entirely impossible yet that as we were speaking there is some universal value based on which we all are motivated to do what we think as our duty what's those universal value yet there is duty from subjective side from your own side from your own that real conscience that the spirit that's the conscience which is spiritually oriented conscience that swamiji will bring into the discussion now any action that makes us go godward is a good action and is our duty and any action that makes us go downward is evil and is not our duty but again here we will find the word god is quite vague in the in the entire history of humankind the religion which was supposed to bring peace has been the main cause of all bloodshed what not happened in the name of religion what not this one religion people killing the others because of total this hatred intolerance so how by and they all think that we are doing it in the name of god so to be spiritually oriented conscience again when you say that it is taking us godward again there may be some gap in our understanding so swamiji is gradually taking us to that universal value what it is now before going that we are going to that final universal value let us try to understand what's the definition of god as defined by swami vivekananda throughout the world whether you are religious or not religious whether you are atheist or you profess to certain faith invariably all will agree to that definition very wonderful definition or whatever even if you are having a particular faith whatever may be the faith whether you are hindu or muslim or christian whatever may be the faith or if you have no faith at all you are an atheist and a very simple small sentence swami is defining god which is universal definition no one can deny that unselfishness is god what a wonderful definition in one place swami vivekananda is saying well, you know what is the difference between god and we the human being we as a human being are like a circle which has a center but which has no circumference its circumference is infinite why he is saying so see if i close my eyes ears all the senses there is no perception i somehow can i stop all the vagaries of mind but can you get rid of the idea of the amness that i am i am that constantly emanating from you you cannot get rid of it and you know that it is emanating from a particular center it has a locality it is within this body mind complex so it has a center but with your mind you can go anywhere there is no limit the science the nasa scientist says that is the last galaxy we beyond that what it is we don't know 
immediately with your mind you can imagine yes there is something beyond that so with your mind with your imagination there is no limitation whatever is limited with your imagination you can immediately cross that so you are a center you are a circle which has a center but which has no circumference is just with the mind you can travel anywhere that's we the ordinary human being so any being and what is god god it is a, also a circle who also doesn't have any circumference but whose center is everywhere so this very simple words can speak a lot that even in our spiritual life you go to any religion go to the mystics those who were not just satisfied with the doctrines and dogmas of religion who really were sincere to practice the faith and went to a type of realization there we find all the mystics are speaking the same language they all say that this amnes at last loses its boundary it becomes something all pervading just think when to give an idea that how what it is like suppose uh, this sunday after your heavy lunch because throughout the week you are working you cannot enjoy your lunch now you have a fist and after that naturally you have a wonderful siesta now that's the time when you don't sleep and when you wake up and suddenly you will find bit disoriented what's that you go beyond time space causation your amnesia is there you will find suddenly you have taken out your toothbrush and toothpaste are going to brush you forgot that you are thinking that it's most probably early in the morning but actually that amnesia is there which is beyond time space causation just to give an idea it's not uh, something which you have gone beyond time space causation just to give an idea the moment you are getting out of the slip you're a bit disoriented suppose you sleep in one direction every day and you change the direction it happened for some reason you know the uh, in the summer in sydney when i was there the fan was on the uh, on the was near my leg i used to keep my head on the other side the fan was on the other side of the leg so at night when i was feeling bit that hot and humid i changed the direction i kept the pillow on the other side and had a nice sleep and when i woke up i was just about to get up and i struck the wall just why when i when the pillow is on the other side i get up the way i turn and get up that's the way i can just move around the other way is the wall it was this bed is just by the side of the wall now as per my natural habit i got up and just turned the other side and just struck the wall so what is happening the time the space the causation all the thing is for the time being just for a fraction of a second is not there to give an inkling of the idea that amnes the mystic speaks of is beyond time beyond space beyond causation from there they say that that is something which is at eternal present that there is never no end to it it is it was it will be so that is god that god is inherent in all of us is sitting lying there once the ignorance falls off all these superimpositions falls off that reveals and that has no ego boundary so godward means going more and more towards unselfishness where all the ego boundaries are falling so now you will find how karma yoga is coming into picture wonderfully the swamiji's lectures are wonderful how 
means with the modern language he is actually bringing that old perennial vedic values uh, to the discussion at the forefront in a very nice way so from the subjective point we may see that certain acts have a tendency to exalt and ennoble us while certain other acts have a tendency to degrade and to brutalize us but it is not possible to but it is not possible to make out with certainty which acts have which kind of tendency in relation to all persons of all shorts and conditions so now gradually that what that god means it means that unselfishness to that he will come to, uh, to the conclusion there is however only one idea of duty which has been universally accepted by all mankind of all ages and sects and countries and that has been summed up in a sanskrit aphorism thus do not injure any being not injuring any being is virtue injuring any being is sin swami ji is speaking of the vyasas that's famous quotation that what is that vyasa is saying that the essence of the 18 puranas which he is the author if you study the all the puranas what is the essence parupakar punnyaya papaya parapidanam so that's the thing swami ji at last is concluding as the universal thing as a universal uh, paradigm perspective of our sense of duty that it should be invariably of what where of what religion we belong of what nation we belong the main thing is that is it i'm going to harm others in any way so that way is not asking to transgress the religion we will come to the discussion that we will find that what is happening that sometimes instead of following a philosophy we philosophize the if you try to follow the dictates of religion by trying to transgress your ego the same dictates you will find can be followed in an ideal way and sometimes instead of trying to be spiritually oriented we try to hurt others harm others and try to conform that to the dictates of religion so philosophy is one thing philosophizing is one thing and again you will find the religion is there religion is there to just uh, rationalize your actions to uh, just judge your actions as correct so that we find is happening throughout the world is for that is the religion to be blamed no that's we find that the same fire with which you can cook your food can burn you how you use it whether you use it or abuse it it is up to you as ramakrishna very nicely saying the same sun with under which one is studying the under whose light one is studying the scripture the same sun under whose light someone else is counterfeiting the currency notes is for that are this is the sun to be blamed no it is we as a human with our fertile brain have a tremendous capacity to manipulate the dictums and use it in a way where our negative elements are being nurtured instead of the positive elements and again here comes the question of choice 
is in no way swami is saying that you forget your origin of where you have been born your religion and just transgress them to follow the dictums of uh, your conscience and you say help others yes when you are helping others your background can never be you can never get rid of your background that is there we will come to the discussion gradually but when you can really try to be spiritually oriented you will find the same dictums have some wonderful meaning and it is helping you to evolve by really following it by trying to get rid of your ego so that's the thing which swami ji is indicating and you will find this wonderful definition this unselfishness as god ultimately comes to the picture when he is saying this that do not injure any being not injuring any being is virtue injuring any being is sin now swami ji will come to the discussion by referring to the bhagavad gita the bhagavad gita frequently alludes to duties dependent upon birth and position in life now here again there will be a lot of confusion because we find that in bhagavad gita in the second chapter god has already mentioned krishna has mentioned that guna karma vibhagasha it is our uh, the position there's a position in life whether we are there are four castes chaturvarnyam mahasrishtam guna karma vibhagasha that he is saying that he has created four castes based on guna means our nature and the karma the our skills based on our nature and skills he has divided these four castes it's something which is universal again you may say where apart from the uh, this hindu culture where is the hindu the kshatriyas the shudras the the vaishyas and the shudras actually these are the four classes of the world if any society you go you have the university you have the so called the intellectual class who are doing the research who are so busy with their education they are uh, enhancing the knowledge based on which all the based on the implementation of which the society is progressing the brahmana is still there the kshatriya like here in australia the federal government who is protecting the boundaries taking care of the integrity of the nation so these are like the kshatriyas the vaishyas are the business class and the shudras or the shudras cleaning the streets uh serving you it's just serving doesn't means he comes and massages your leg service can be many type the gas supply the electric supply the all these things who is taking care of at last you will find the council to certain extent is uh, maintaining the our so called day to day uh, the things which we need in the proper in the way of service the, to keep the roads uh, clean to keep the parks clean so shudra if i take it in a uh, in a sense that in a this as a slave we will be mistaking the one who is serving that the shudras can you have any society beyond these four classes and it's upon our nature it's as per our sense of responsibility we have divided ourselves in any of these classes even those we are who are working uh, for the government we will find that in- invariably that we are falling in any of these four categories as per our work is concerned so it is based on guna karma where, 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 but but where the question of 
birth comes. It's not that uh, Swamiji is speaking that a Brahman's son, son is going to be Brahman. Not in that sense, he's speaking of birth. In, and then in Bhagavad Gita also they have spoken of birth. That guna, which is guna karma, which is God is speaking of in the second chapter. The same origin of the guna and karma, the same thing. Bhagavan is speaking the 18th, the last chapter. From where they originate. From where that guna karma originate. That is swabhavaja, from swabhava. Now what is swabhava? Very nicely, Shankaracharya, this uh, technical discussions we are bringing so that there cannot be any, there shouldn't be any gap in our understanding. We must, shouldn't feel that Swamiji is speaking something which is not at all there in Gita. It is there in Gita, but not the way we understand. What? Very that what is what swabhava means? Janmantara krita dharmadi samskara marana kale avivyakta is sabhava. That I live a life. Some predominant tendencies are there in my life. Some my likings, some predominant likings are there, some predominant dislikings are there. The resultant of that, based on that, at the time of death, I just, they say it is just like a leech that you, the leech first, you, you know that uh, it will get hold of the ground before from the backside it is moving up. So, as per our death tendencies, that resultant tendency, we choose the next birth before we leave this birth. So our movement to transmigration is like a leech. So here Shankaracharya is indicating that, that by birth means what? In my previous birth, whatever disposition was, based on that, the next birth, my swabhava, my natural inclinations will be. So that will decide, decide my guna, that will decide my karma. So now you will find when Swamiji is indicating that by birth and position in life, Bhagavad Gita is alluding our duties. It's not something contradicting the Gita. Now we will go to the exact text that in the 18th chapter, the 41th sloka, what Bhagavan is saying there, Brahmana Kshatriya, uh, Vishang Shudranang. Vishang is the Vaishya, Shudranang is the Shudra. Cha Parantapa, Karmani pravibhaktani swabhava prabhavair gunai. So I have divided the work, the guna, the karma as per the swabhava of this, this, this four classes. As per the swabhava, these four classes has been defined. So swabhava again is what? Which you have already inherited because of your past karmas. That is your swabhava. Those are the natural instincts. So based on that, I have taken birth in a particular situation in life. It's a very important thing. Most of us, even a hardcore criminal, you go to the jail and take the interview. That how, what, what has happened to you? Why you got converted to a, such a hardcore criminal? In 99.99% cases, you will find that they are saying it is the society who is responsible. My upbringing, the way I was abroad, that is responsible. No one to, wants to take the responsibility on their own self. So here there comes again this, this Vedic idea. The entire responsibility is on you. It is you, your disposition, which has resulted in your birth in a particular situation. 
if i want to be a doctor and just as a student i just go on enjoying my life and at last i find that i am not established in my life and can i then at that times blame the circumstances it is not what i am just aiming my life shows where it is my life is going to take me so that's the thing which here uh, swami ji is indicating by the term birth it is not that the brahmana's son by birth is a brahmin no it is your disposition in the previous birth that is determining your disposition in the next birth in that sense the birth word has been used it's not in the fixed sense of that brahmins that that is a distortion of the varnashrama that was never meant in the bhagavad gita this swabhava means this is very clearly it has been defined janmantara krita in the previous birth what i have done dharmaadi samskar that good bad whatever i have done marana kale abhivyakta they as a resultant they find an expression and that results in the circumstance in which you are taken birth you are you are you are taking birth and now that circumstance will define your duty you cannot simply jump out of it so now you will find that yes taking this into consideration fact of life i don't i just simply don't say that this is not favorable circumstances and that's why i can do nothing that is what you have decided your past have decided now take this as a fact of life and now think how you can evolve spiritually instead of thinking of the past the past what has happened has happened let the dead bury the dead the bygones are bygones let me take the present and from here let me try to move forward this most of us take karma in a very uh, fatalistic way that what the how we take the theory of karma is that oh see i am in such a circumstances are uh, it yes uh, many are there who agree that is most probably my past karma has resulted here resulted me to be in such circumstances and then the fatalistic decision i can do nothing that is fatalistic why if the past karma has resulted in the present invariably what i do in the present is going to decide my future my destiny so whatever may be the circumstances why not try to take the maximum benefit of it so that i can have a better future to give a common example that karma is not what you have karma is actually what you do with what you have this is a difference to give a common example a rich lady with all the spices with all the ingredients doesn't have the skill of cooking cooks a very horrible dish and a poor lady with very meager ingredients cooks a wonderful dish so it's not what you have that is karma what you do with it that's your karma so how to cook out a wonderful dish with whatever small little ingredients i have that speaks of karma so so now swami ji is bringing that point gradually that yes that the circumstances we take for granted nothing is negative we are all born in particular circumstances where duty apparently seems to be varied but that doesn't mean we have uh, to be just fixed uh, with all those dictums in a way where as if there is no way out if we are properly spiritual oriented where unselfishness is the thing which i aim at that 
I give importance to the others by myself become more secondary. That's what responsibility is. A small child has some pocket money after school returning, we're returning to house, sees the McDonald's, goes and buys whatever he wants. And just satiates his own desires or her desire. The same, this child, when he's grown up, it's not that the McDonald's doesn't lure him anymore. He's lured. He's drawn towards it. But you will find now before purchasing immediately what is happening. Now he's the father. He's having family. So immediately the picture of the family will come to his mind. I have a family. I have my children. So it's not me. I have to buy for them. I have to share with them. So with this, you will find that as you are placed in a particular situation in life, the sense of duty is evolving. And the basic idea behind it is unselfishness. So whatever situation in life you may be, that's, that's the only criteria, how much unselfish you are becoming. So the situations of life in that case becomes immaterial. That how much unselfish through that act I am becoming, that becomes the criteria for my duty. So that's the thing now we will just again read out. The Bhagavad Gita frequently alludes to duties dependent upon birth and position in life. Birth and position in life and in society largely determine the mental and moral attitude of individuals towards the various activities of life. It is therefore our duty to do that work which will exalt and ennoble us in accordance with the ideals and activities of the society in which we are born. See how nicely is not first he's saying that that subjective thing is important. But that doesn't mean I have to contradict the society in which you are born, conforming to that, you can still do that. And that's your duty. So we can never go beyond our Swabhava. In the Bhagavad Gita, how nicely Bhagavan says, Swabhava jena kaunteya nibhadha svena karmana kartu nechasi yan mohat karishyasi avashopitat that at last Bhagavan is saying that Arjun, you say that you won't fight, but know it for certain, your Swabhava, the Kshatriya, that you have been born with all those tendencies, which will force you to do that. Do with it a proper paradigm. That's the, one, that's the thing, that it's not that for my own personal gales, I'm going to kill the enemy who are my relatives. It's because of the God's plan. What's the God's plan? To keep the integrity where every everyone lives with empathy. The why the war came into picture. The Kauravas were not ready, ready even to give five villages to the Panchapandavas. That doesn't speak, they're depriving the Panchapandavas. That speaks of their attitude to exploit others. That the power is there to exploit others, not to give an even the minimum right to live. There comes the God's power of integrity now. And we become the channel for that. It's not just that I have that he is ruling, now I have to rule and God is in my favor. No. God's favor is for the integrity. Wherever the integrity is there, <coughs> God, wherever you find Hitler, Hitler, immediately you will find that is the force of nature to contra contradict it. The evil never wins. For the time being, it appears that the evil is gaining power. But in the history you study, never evil has won. 
at last it has succumbed to the righteous force and that's the plan of the divine and the and you become an instrument of the divine to just make the divine plan possible so the question of ego doesn't come so in that circumstance also arjun when he was recoiling from the war the bhagwan is saying it is so how will make it i have made you my instrument because of your swabhava to bring that integrating factor in life so just don't try to go beyond your swabhava never go to beyond go beyond your swabhava know that your swabhava because of your past was at the same time if you resign to the divine that swabhava will be used to take you spirally upwards instead of taking you spirally downwards so hold on to god resign to him with all that swabhava you will evolve gradually so you will find very nicely swami is integrating in no way he is criticizing any the so called social background any religion nothing is taking them for granted on which we are born as per our swabhava and from there we have to germinate just the way the lotus germinates from uh, the mud from the they say there's that from that it the wonderful that it blooms into a wonderful flower the so called society is like the mud it is not all good it is a mixture of this is good and bad things we take the nutrients out of it and just bloom out to really evolve in the sky of spirituality so that's what swami is indicating so gradually as we proceed we will find that these lectures are really the wonderful lectures where swami ji is indicating that what should be our duty what should be our responsibility in whatever situations of life we may be placed in so with this we stop our discussion today we'll continue it from the next class again but next sunday uh, we won't have the class because on <clears throat> uh, saturday we have the at night we have kali puja so next day morning we will be uh, prefer to relax and from the forthcoming sunday again we will continue with our discussion on karma yoga and you all are invited to join us our celebration of the kali puja for which we will send you the reminder we will just want to say you one thing for kali puja as there will be a, a bigger participants participation the bengali association group also have are conjointly doing with us so for the only for the kali puja our zoom link will be different which we have already indicated in the flyer so try uh, please get linked to that kali puja celebration through that link so so that you can all enjoy the celebration uh, so with this we stop our discussion today thank you thank you swami ji namaskar namaskar pranam swami ji pranam maharaj